Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM, let's create. It's not lost on me that I am a descendant of people that survived the Middle Passage. It's like, the shit that I go through or deal with or that people throw at me, it ain't as bad as that. It's not as bad as slavery. <laughs> it's not as bad as Jim Crow. Not as bad as the Civil Rights Movement. So that's where I come from. That's the bloodline that I'm from. How can I not walk tall? Like, I, I have to. That was Lita Waithe. I'm Sam Fragoso. This is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Lita Waithe has been making waves in Hollywood since she arrived in 2006 from Chicago. You just didn't know it. There's a conventional trajectory for those who move to L.A. to enter the entertainment industry. Upon arrival, grand aspirations are often quickly dashed, hopes and dreams put on hold. If you're lucky and disciplined, like Lena, you take odd jobs around town. An assistant for a big-name director, a crew member on a television show. Hell, maybe you become a coordinator on that television show. Time moves forward, and if you haven't used up all your luck, your art may come along with you for the ride. Hey, maybe you even co-star as one of Aziz Ansari's best friends in a hit Netflix show. They'll call it something like Master of None. Who is the lucky lady? Ah, there she go. Here's the deal. She's straight, but lately I've been getting some serious vibes from her. Ooh, vibes that she wants to become a lesbian? Vibes that she's curious about an adventure with Denise. All right, I'm in. I'm your wingman. Oh, shit, here she comes. Be cool. Denise. Hey, Kyla. Hey, who is this? Oh, I'll just do. Come on. Let's get a drink. 
As the character Denise, Lena has broken barriers only she could have imagined. Denise is a gay black woman living and thriving in New York City. She's funny, she's biting, she's whip-smart, and most of all, she's Lena. At heart, Waith is a writer who, in turn, has learned how to do everything else in this industry. She produced Dear White People, the movie, and has many more projects on the way. She has a role in Steven Spielberg's next film, and, oh yeah, she just happened to create an upcoming Showtime drama called The Shy, due later this year. Her dedication to getting shit done shows in the work. It's intelligently crafted, thoughtful, meticulous, curious. Before doing this intro, I texted her kind of on a whim to describe herself in five words. Because she's Lena, she responded in about, eh, two seconds. She said, determined, strategic, energetic, passionate, and animated. Fittingly, she was prepared for the question before I even asked it. We go to some unexpected places in this conversation, places she hasn't been in other interviews that she has done recently. It was an honor and a pleasure. So, finally, here is Lena Waithe. So, um, this sounds so weird that I can like, this is great that I can hear you. Like this. this is, I know you sound very sexy. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Now it's weird that, that I don't take that as it almost, it's like a neutral comment coming from you. Is that wrong? Oh, is that because I don't date men? Yeah, but I don't mean that. <laughs> we're, st- <laughs> we're starting off on the right foot here. Yeah, we are. No, man. Like, but I can, can we appreciate... get into that? Because what does that mean? What? Why do I? Why do I have that response as like a straight guy? Because, like, because because if I were straight, would that give you more of a tingle in your spine? Saying it it kind of gave me a tingle anyway. Well, see what I'm saying? That's the thing. It's like this whole straight gay situation. It's just like <laughs> we're all humans. I love that it's a situation. It's a situation. It's my favorite situation. You know. I don't mind. Yeah, I love kicking off the shoes, you can take man. Take your shoes off, you dude. Can... These here's the tough thing: the Vans are comfy, man. Okay. It's like that's the cool thing about it. It's like you ain't got shoes on, you know. Was <laughs> um, this a Vans ad? Just, I know, right? Well, shit. Send me some shoes. Well, they should. I'm a sneakerhead, though. I do like a, a sneaker. It's it's a problem. Mm. Actually, it's not. I don't think it's a problem. It's not a problem. No, my girlfriend thinks it's a problem. It's a problem if you don't have the money for it and you're spending too much that's true yeah which is the the case but let's talk about the situation because i actually think it it is fairly related to the episode of master of none that has received an an absurd amount of (laughs) attention warranted warranted it's It's warranted it's look it's the best episode of the series oh thank you yeah you said the series you didn't even say season two no it's, it's a series thank you sir full stop i appreciate that brother yeah Thank you. That means a lot to me. That conversation um, about your coming out story has been one circulated around the internet. Are you tired of talking about it? Um, Not yet. Um, I think because, you know what's interesting? I never talked about it a lot uh, uh, prior to this the episode. And 
and honestly, I'm even I was surprised that Alan and Aziz were so fascinated by the story I told them about it because I, I flew out to New York to sit with the with them and the other writers. Uh, just so to kind of, is, uh, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Um, was is this standard for the people on the cast of the show for for Aziz and Alan to be like, okay, come to New York, update us on your lives. And then we're going to figure out the show from there. Yeah. And we do have a super small cast. And like Arnold is kind of like, um, who's played by Eric Wareheim. Eric and Arnold are <laughs> very different. So that's sort of more of a character, even though Eric is, is is pretty silly and funny. But he's a character I think they kind of, you know, play with and have fun with. And then obviously Aziz and Alan are in the room anyway. And Kelvin Yu, um, who plays a version of Alan, he flew out to New York too, but it's literally it's like because also the first season, uh, they they were more based in L.A. and they and then of course we shot the season in New York. Alan and Aziz got really New York happy and just sort of stayed there. So that's I think the reason why we flew out because, but they do that. It's like in the first season, it's it's very much we we were feeling it out and we're playing and but they did kind of pick up on the fact that like Aziz the conversation I would have with Aziz or me saying. Oh yeah, she's a red bone, and him being like, "What's that mean?" Like as he's as sorry, asking what that means, which led to Dev asking what that means, and we kind of quickly realized, "Oh, that's kind of that could be magic, that could be cool." And so I think that's a reason why for the second season they were like, "Come out to where the writers' room is, which is in New York now, and uh, and just talk to us about what's going on." And you know, they would. I think it's really cool because here's the funny thing. I was actually, because I'm like, a, I'm a studious person. I'm like, okay, we're doing a season two. Y'all gonna want some shit. Let me take notes. Anytime my girlfriend and I would have experience something weird or do something funny, <laughs> I like write in my little notes on my uh, phone. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm gonna keep this. I literally had a file like Denise shit, like, or t- typical, or maybe a potential Denise uh, like episode idea. How did your partner feel about that? She hated it. She's so like, <laughs> I'm what? sure I don't like this shit. Um, she's so funny. She's an exec, so she's on the other side of it, and so she's very like private and like not on the Insta as much as I am and all that kind of shit. But but I was like, yeah, I want to come with some stuff. So sure enough, I had some stuff ready, and I did like throw some stuff at them from my phone. I was like, okay, guys, here we go. And then in the midst of it. Alan, I think, said, like, well, how did you come out? You know, like, what was that like? And then I started telling, you know, I started talking about my grandmother and my mom, and I started doing their voices and, like, what that was like. Not even trying to, you know, I was just, like, it wasn't being a myself. Pitch. It was yeah. Just, <laughs> I was just it like, was just, this is my life. And yes. Here's how it unfolded. Exactly. And and there was a big thing I did make a note of. For, I, for some reason, I felt a need to make a note of this in the room. I was just like, it wasn't. It wasn't steeped in religion, my coming out. Like, that wasn't a part of it. And I, because I'm very aware, hyper aware that within the black community, a big part of why it's difficult for people to come out is because how steep their families might be in the church. Now, mind you, my family went to church often but they're not they can't quote the Bible. They're not them people like they just they just aren't, you know, and um and I think for a long time, I was sort of grateful because the the words that came out of my mother's mouth actually ended up being in the episode. Like I actually uh, wrote it as that. It was more keeping up with the Joneses. It was more mm. about 
oh, what are the neighbors going to think? Or who else did you tell? Like that, that was more, which is speaks so much to my mom's like, that's, that was more her fear. That, that like, was her orbit. I mean, exactly. so it was more cultural than religious. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, you going to hell. Like that could not have been further from her mind. She was just like, what are my friends going to think when they hear that? That was more of the thing. And, and I just really, I was pointed about making sure they knew that. Cause I was like, I don't want y'all to think like that was the frustrating part of it for me. It was more about me trying to get over their generational stuff and their how they felt about how people would view them because of who I was. And Aziz and Alan, I think you, they were like, oh, that's interesting. I, I had never thought about it that way. And I was like, well, yeah, that was that was my situation. That's what I was dealing with. Mm. And, uh, and so anyway, and so and then I sort of kept talking and being silly and we whatever. We talked about some random like movie references. And then I went back to my hotel. And like by the time I got there, like Alan and Aziz called me like, oh, they were like on speakerphone or some shit. And they were like, we want we want to tell the coming out thing. We want to tell the coming out story. And I was like, what? I was like, you do? You want to tell that story? And they were like, yeah, they're like, would you be down? We know that's like super personal. And, uh, but I was like, you know what? Yeah. Like, why not? Like, sure. Let's, let's tell that story. And then I got nervous. Cause like, well, can you help us write it? And I was like, uh, I've already got a full plate. Got a lot of shit going on. I trust y'all. Y'all go write it. And as he was just like, no, he's like, you're a, you're a writer. I need you to help me tell this story. He said, cause I don't want to get what you just did in the writer's room. I don't want to get that wrong. Right. Um, cause he was like, he was, it was, cause he was like, it was so specific and all that stuff you were doing. He's like, I can't write that. He's like, I, he's like, I can write Deb in that. He said, but I can't write all that stuff. So I was like, uh, okay. Um, and, uh, and I was, I was like, I don't have contractual obligation. All of that kind of stuff went out the window. And, um, we figured out a time. I actually, I was, in, I ended up being in London filming something. And then he ended up coming as he came out to London and, and we wrote it. We went, we were in a hotel room and we just knocked it out. So I say all that to say, it's been a surprise that I even did that episode. And even, I don't, I'm not, you know, not to be cocky. I'm not going to say it's a surprise that we've gotten a warm reception, but I'll say it's been validating, mm-hmm. you know, because oftentimes when you're a person of color and you're in this town and you have a voice, it's often filtered through someone else's voice to make other people feel comfortable. And the fact that Netflix doesn't do that, uh, Aziz isn't about that life. And they were like, you know, we're going to let you, and it's really, I was free falling. Like I wrote a, I helped write a script. I never got notes on it. <laughs> like nobody said, what about this? What about that? So a part of me was like, okay, well, if this episode doesn't work, it's like they could literally point a finger at me. <laughs> mm. um, but, and I just never even thought about it. I never thought about, people's response in this way. I just always knew, well, this show, this episode is black as hell. It's honest as fuck. It's real. It's specific as hell. And I was like, hopefully people fuck with it. That's really, that's what, I think that's kind of what, that's my mentality. I kind of have a, a rapper's mentality. Mm. Like I'm going to fucking go in the studio, give 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 of myself. And if people fuck with the mixtape, they fuck with the mixtape. If they don't, you know, Oh well. So this was the mixtape. This felt like my fucking, you know, uh, what, 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 October Zone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, you know what I mean? That could be good. You know what I mean? It's like that. That's what it felt like. It, it was like me getting opportunity to like just fucking get in there and uh, and just speak my truth and and with no record label, nobody being like this is this is how we gonna release it. And so I just kind of kind of and the fact that I could give it to people that straight with no tracer and, and folks being like, yeah, we like this, we fuck with it in a real way to me it just makes me it makes me it puts me in an even more beast mode because now it's like yeah yeah like my voice is valid and people like it and give me more like i want to do more like give me more opportunities to go show what i got 
Why do you think you were resistant to telling this story? I wasn't resistant. I was resistant to adding another thing to my plate. Well, hold on. To do. Let me, let me yeah. correct. You, you, I know you had a lot going on, uh-huh. but, you, but you did lead by saying, I haven't even been talking about this throughout my career, you know, when you were an assistant or uh-huh. when you've been producing and writing. Uh-huh. This hadn't come up. Right. And I have to believe it's a pretty significant moment or chapter in your life. Uh-huh. There, I, I, I don't know. I mean, am I wrong to think like you kind of didn't, it didn't come, not, not naturally, you didn't want to go into that chapter you didn't want to revisit it you, you know what is interesting i think a big thing for me was i'm very interested in queer stories particularly queer stories from people of color and their perspective but a big thing for me is i like the idea of jumping into that queer person's life post coming out like that to me is so interesting like i feel like there's so much you know, attention paid to, okay, what was it like when you came out? To me, it's like, I want to see that person's life just like after that awkwardness, like after they've, you know, come out to themselves, come out to their family, and now what's their life like as they're swagged out, dating people out here, you know, doing their thing in the world. So I think that's always been a big thing for me and just in my artistry. Not that I don't like it. Like, I love Pariah, you know, um, so interesting because there is there's not a coming out scene in Moonlight, so to speak. Um, although you're watching him uh, learn about his own sexuality, sort mm-hmm. of in a very quiet way, which I really love because that's what it looks like and that's what it feels like, honestly, in real life. What the internalizing? Yes, you're, you're you're wondering what's going on with you, not what's wrong with you necessarily. You're just wondering there's something different about me, and I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. Do you remember when that happened for you? Ooh, I was really young. I remember watching Barney. I remember seeing the girls on that show and being like, because I was about their age, and I was like, oh, she's cute. I mean, there's a character, Tasha. And I was like, she's cute. Because that's around, the, you know, like your, your kids, they have crushes and they like each other. So at that age, I knew something was like different about me. Mm-hmm. I don't like saying wrong or off. Different. Um, well, wrong or off is not accurate. Right. Exactly. You know, so... That's as early as that. Now, mind you, the weird thing is when you're a kid, you don't know much about that, all that stuff. So that's why it is such a slow burn because then you become a teenager and then you're like, okay, I'm dating guys because I feel like I'm supposed to, Mm -hmm. but I'm not really into this. See, that's what I was interested in because the the experience of being attracted to someone Mm -hmm. happens you know, for pretty much everyone. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are asexual, but that, sure. that, that's their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember that first girl that I was like, oh, fuck. Like, she was in, I was in fifth grade. Right. Was, and there was, I remember her name. Oh, is she going to give her a shout out? I mean, is that happening? We'll call her Maggie. Okay. Because, I mean, there's a world in which this is a rom-com. She hears this and is single and texts you. Look, okay, out. her name was Maggie Riley. Come through. Everyone, of course it was. Everyone liked her. <laughs> This is not this is not breaking news. Anyone who listens to this, they're gonna be like, "Yep, Maggie. we all we all had a crush." Regardless of of straight, bi, queer, everyone had. Most people, you know, that's what I was saying. Is like everyone's had that experience where they first felt attracted to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I was wondering, like, you've had that in Barney, but that's that's fiction, right? That's right, like, right, right, right. What was the, you don't have to name the person, but do you remember? 
like a grade you were in where you're like, oh shit, I think that girl's cute. Like, oh, she just finished that math test early. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I actually, I'm trying to like. It's so funny too because I watched so much television as a kid, so that's why it's so interesting. Like I live in like pop culture references. Like that's most of what my life is because I, I always say I, you know I was raised by a single mother, but I was somewhat raised in a two parent home. It was like my mom on the TV, mm-hmm. um, because you know I was always in front of it. I was always looking at, and then of course now I'm you know working in it and I'm a television writer, and, and that's very interesting. Cut to parents look at their couch potato kids. Like one day you'll. Make a lot of money and you'll make us proud. Let them sit on the couch Let for them days. Let sit on the couch, man. One day they may write a sick. <laughs> like they might write a television show. That could happen. They might have an episode <laughs> on a Netflix. <laughs> I know. Exactly. This worked out for me. You know, it all worked. It all happened. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, definitely, you know, like a lot. Well, also, I definitely have a reputation even still now. I hang out with a lot of straight girls, mm-hmm. a lot of straight black girls, and they're always gorgeous, always gorgeous. Now, the weird thing is I, I don't really have crushes on my friends. By the way, like this my is sisters. your reputation. This is my your motherfucker. Lena, she's just always with a bunch of hot women. If you see these girls on this squad, te- you're going to be like, I'm sorry. Did I walk into coming to America, the opening scene? Like, that's what these girls, they're gorgeous, like Nubian queens. All right. Always. Do you think we can be friends after this? Dude, it's we're gonna exchange text messages. They're gonna we're gonna exchange numbers. We'll be texting. It's fine. <laughs> it's happening. I feel comfortable. I'm a great judge of character. You're cool people. You got this house. We're vibing. Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, so I've always been around like these gorgeous straight girls, but I definitely like I think always thought like, oh, so and so is cute. I'm trying to think now. Who was like? There was a girl that well, I did thought you was have, cute well, in middle school, but I can't remember her name now. But she was really cute. Did you have a group of friends in middle school that were girls? Is that is that what you had? Yeah. I've always hung around girls. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that like tomboy that only hung around boys. Like right. I always hung around other girls. I, and maybe because I felt comfortable because I literally grew up in a house full of The episode is very reflective of my life. It was like my grandmother, my mom's sister, her friends. I have an older sister. We had neighbors that would come over. They were like all women. Like it was just like I was always around eavesdropping listening to older women and uh to listen to them talk listen to them gossip listen to them talk shit so i always say like that's how i learned to that's where my swag really comes mm-hmm. from it's like that's where you learn how to talk shit that's where i learned man like very early that's how i learned how to talk about world events and like you know and it was always the black female slant on mm-hmm. it you know and that's what those conversations at the table in the episode are like literally pulled from like me because also that's the other cool thing too as a kid i got to sit at the table i couldn't say shit uh but i I literally yeah that's not what grown folks is talking but that to me was like i was a little black sassy woman in training you Mm -hmm. know so i would listen to them and watch them and they had no qualms about like they would talk curse and like talk about like oj simpson and the white women and this and that because they didn't they're just like whatever lena's here next but it really kind of I learned so much about how to how to just be in the world from watching them and listening to them. See, I think there's a true different verbiage in Chicago of like how people speak. Because mm-hmm. my family as well, just great shit talkers, just phenomenal, mm-hmm. cutting, yeah. terrible shit. Oh yeah, yeah. And I and I and when I moved here, I was like, man, people are really nice. Right. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how to do it. No. See, are people less kind in Chicago? than they are here or just people more fake out here people are more fake out here i think people are more passive aggressive i hate passive aggression. me too 
that but that's but that's you know I think you know yeah I'm from Chicago but I Chicago is a part of me like it's that's why I think I am so blunt mm-hmm. or why I do have sort of a hustler spirit. Where what neighborhood did you grow up in? Well, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, like right off of what people know Chicago. I grew up off of like 79th Street, off mm-hmm. of the Dan Ryan. Yeah, I know where that is. Um, but and so I grew up there, and I did. I live with my grandmother. <laughs> it's like it's like such a cliche. My mom had to move us and live with my grandmother because she divorced my father, and she didn't have the money to live on her own. So what age did they split up? When I was two. So, so you don't really remember them being together? No, not really. But he, there were some weekends where he like would come and like be around up until I was like seven or eight. Mm-hmm. So I do have some blurry memories. Um, I have none. My parents split up before I was one. Oh, shit. Yeah. like, But not that I, my dad's a huge part of my life. Oh, okay. I have no memories of them as a unit. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I can't even. Fa- I've seen pictures and I'm like. That's so weird. What the fuck is that? That's always, I'm always so intrigued. And I'm kind of in that boat too. I know before you were even turned one, it's like super fast. But I'm always intrigued by like, I mean, I was two. So it's like you have a kid. So there's something, you know, that's working. And then, you know, the kid comes and it's like. Are oh, you intrigued why it didn't work out? No, to say in terms of I've, I've heard stories <laughs> from people that they're like, oh, I was one years old or I was just born or I was, you know, I, I got even me, like I was two. Mm-hmm. And it's like what is it that like you have this child that's fairly recently and it's like i can't do this like i gotta get out of here you know what i'm saying and whatever i just always think it's so fascinating well not to say a baby fixes anything sure but i just always think it's like there's a baby it's and, like you have to <laughs> in my case it wasn't working i think before i was even born like they were in Got mid-pregnancy it. but they wanted to have a kid oh. they wanted the kid yeah yeah i don't know what happened in your case why did why did what did it mean does your mom ever say we split up because of this. I, you know, and it's, I feel bad because I only have my mom's side. I never, you know what I'm saying? But she said he, you know, he, uh, he kind of got into some, some shit, like some, some, some drug kind of stuff and also was not faithful or was not faithful like a second time. And like, that's sort of like what it, what it was. So, uh, yeah, she told me that too. I was like, we were living in, I was in high school, um, I don't even know how that came up. I, I just, uh, she, yeah, because I never even asked. I didn't. I, it was I was so young, and my, well, it was normal for me to be living with my grandmother and and my mom, and my sister, and my aunt who was over there often. Uh, so yeah, so it wasn't a thing, but it was. I think he just kind of wasn't really ready to be mm. a husband and a father in the way he needed to be. So she just kind of, and my sister was four. So, uh, so you were the second kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's only two of us. So, yeah, she packed us up and we uh, moved to my grandmother. And I lived there till I was 12. Do you remember a conversation with your mom when you're like, hey, why, why are we living with? No, no, no. It never. It didn't come up. No. And I think, um, because I think I thought that everybody lives with their grandmother. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It was sort of like I was so young. That it was just normal. And also, too, like, my grandmother had a house and, we, and she had a basement. So we lived in the basement. Mm. It sounds not good, but we made the basement look nice. The, ni- the basement was fly. <laughs> you know, we made it work. I slept in a basement. <laughs> it's like, a, I know how it sounds. People in California don't understand basements. I know, man. Like, they don't know. It's like they hear doing. basement and they think, like, they think oh, it's gonna collapse on that's where or they shit. find the kids in fucking SVU. Uh, no, it's like. <laughs> We had it was a, a carpet. Reading. I know that we had a carpet. We <laughs> had couches. I had a room down there. It was all good. It was good. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't. It was not weird or strange 
to me at all. I guess I am I'm asking all this because you mentioned that you're in this time you watch a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. TV is a fairly isolating activity. Yeah. Did you feel lonely? No. I think because I was so obsessed with these certain television characters. You know, like I was really obsessed with the Cosby show, really obsessed with the different world and and that's the other thing too. It's like I came up, I was very lucky, you know, in terms of the generation I grew up. Like I would see black kids on television, you know, watching Family Matters, you know, even watching Full House. Like I remember like Taj Mari being on Full House, like the little black kid, like watching mm. my mom would take me to go see, I'm sure to go see Eve's Bayou, like seeing Journey Smollett, who I'm now friendly with, which is crazy. And looking at that, Eve's Bayou is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'm the same age as, as Eve in the movie. And so I'm like, so I would always connect to, you know, when I was really young, I could go, oh, look at those. Like, that's a kid that's like me, like Rudy and like, you know, you know, and even also the parenthood before parenthood on NBC, there was a black parenthood with like, like a Robert Townsend and all that mm-hmm. kind of shit. And seeing a little kid like CC and like all that kind of shit. I remember, you know, watching that stuff and, and, and seeing myself and how it felt. So, you know, I felt less alone. The surrogate family. <clears throat> yeah. And um, and then and then I would also obviously obsess over a different world where those characters were much older than me, but looking up to them and being like, oh, they're in school, they're smart, they're fly, they're cool. You know, thinking Jasmine Guy was the most beautiful thing to ever walk the face of the earth. <laughs> uh, and um, and same thing with uh, Hillary on Fresh and Fresh Prince. I was obsessed with her, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I was just sort of always, I found solace in those characters and in those shows and in those sets. Those like brightly colored sitcoms and you know and then as I got older I watched Martin like relentlessly and living single and uh and just like try to mimic them and like say they're you know they say a line I'd say it back to the tv it just felt very comforting Mm -hmm. I mean eventually you grow up and you're in high school and what what is your your, you went to Evanston high school Mm mm-hmm what is your life like there? I know you said you were dating guys. Yes. Well, I dated a guy, okay. which ironically turned out he's a homosexual as well. Like mm-hmm. he came out to me, came to visit me uh, <laughs> when I was at, I moved out here and uh, he was still living in Chicago. And and I was like, why are you? Well, I was excited he was coming out to visit me because we were like really close. I mean, like we dated like all of high school, went to prom together. Like, so we, we were just like. But so what was, was it not sexual? Not at all. There was like no kissing. There was no nothing. But I didn't. But honestly, a lot of people think I'm lying or think I'm crazy. I swear I did not get. He was not effeminate. Nothing. Like there was no sign. I was the obvious one. I was walking around looking like freaking vintage Queen Latifah and set it off and mm. the brat. Kid you not. Were you killing it in high school? You know what? A little bit. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Because like I was... Because anytime I hear vintage Queen Latifah... Dude, I was... Because also too... You're talking I was, about like rapping Queen Latifah. More like Cleo Queen oh, Latifah. Shit. I was very... I even had the cornrows at one point. It was <laughs> such... I was like more butch in high school than I am now. It was crazy. But the thing was... Oh, but the, the, and I will say, I have to say, being an obviously gay teenager, even though I was not out or whatever... It's easier, I think, if you're a girl, a little bit, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I was very uh, tomboyish, wore baggy clothes, that whole thing, and did not get shit for it. Like, people were like, oh, okay, you know, all right, that's Lena. She just, you know, she dresses like, you know, like a boy, so what? Is There's a weird thing, because I think people assume, oh, it's a phase, you, you know, you'll get older and you'll be wearing skirts and stuff like that. If you are a guy, because we had a guy who I, who, you know, big shout out to him, his name was Chris Jennings in high school, um, 
I think we went to middle school together too. We're friends on Facebook. He recently like wished me happy birthday on, on Facebook. And, he, and here's a tough thing. He couldn't, hide, he was very effeminate. And it's a thing that like, it was in his body. He, he couldn't not be that. And I remember him being just like tortured, you know, because he's a black, he was a black kid, black boy, very thin and effeminate. And, you know, and people just gave him such a hard time as kids do, especially in high school, especially during that time, even though people think like, Oh, it wasn't that long ago. I'm like, yeah, but you know, we've progressed a little bit. Um, now, mind you, even still, I think there's a world in which if you're that and you're in a black neighborhood and you're gonna you're gonna get shit. Uh, if you're in Brentwood, they may be like, okay, whatever. Uh, but he got a really hard time, and kids would just walk by me and like, and I was obviously freaking gay. I mean, and not to say that okay, if your daughter's wearing baggy clothes, it, it could be a phase. But it's just, I just mm-hmm. thought how interesting that was and I remember looking at him and also at that point like knowing my freaking truth I think I, it, it not completely but knowing but you didn't you never I guess you know you never articulated your truth to this guy no well no well he I'm trying to remember and now now my memory is like sort of on the test I'm trying to remember if I oh you know what I did I came out to him first and um and then like maybe the guy a year. you were dating. Yeah, but but this was like we weren't dating anymore in high school. Like uh, like we when we went to college, we were just sort of like best friends. We were always, mm-hmm. you know, texting, calling, whatever. And then um and then and we remained really close when I moved out to Los Angeles. Uh and I told him and then like a year or a year and a half later like he came he, he came out here literally to tell me cuz we were so he he's like I'm not going to do that over the phone. But um, it's fascinating. You so had a crazy. relationship in high school where there was never a conversation of like, "Hey, we no. don't kiss, we don't." I mean, it became that was a, it was a, we would have conversations with our friends about it, like not with each other. Because mm. they were like, "What the fuck? Like, why are we not like moving forward?" Because also, you know, in high school people were, like going ham. They're like yeah. doing all kind of shit, and I was like, "Is that what's happening at your high school?" With yes. We had a couple. We had multiple pregnancies at the, uh, the graduation. It was like a whole thing. I did a little paper about it because mm-hmm. it was like so many. And most of those girls were African American, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I was just sort of because you know they just not knowing or knowing. That's the thing. Like you know, trying to you know find, try to create something that that's theirs. You know, that's the whole deep dive. But yeah, I was aware. I was hyper. I would talk to my friends about it. I think he talked to his friends because you know we both had friends that were like you know kissing canoodling doing all kind of stuff and and i really wish somebody would have just you know <laughs> like pointed at both of us and like both of y'all are gay as hell although you, him you wouldn't have known i mean he was like any other teenage black boy wearing like fubu you know jordans mm-hmm. and like all that kind of shit so but for me it was like painfully obvious but like that's the thing like no but i didn't have anyone to go you should take a look in the mirror and really go on a spiritual journey. Uh, was it actually painful? No, it was just, it was more, it's, it's sort of a, it's a surprising thing. You're like, Oh, okay. So I'm, it's like, it's also daunting too. Cause you're like, cause then when you realize that you're like, Oh shit, I got to come out to people. Like I have to, I'm going to live a different life. I'm going to go to gay clubs rather than strict clubs. It's like those things I was sort of thinking about. I was like, oh, my life is going to be different in these ways. And then also, do you too, you have to mourn. It's interesting because people always say your parents have to mourn the straight life they dreamed about for you. But you kind of have to as well because you are, we're, we live in a heterosexual 
society. Um, and you, you know, convince yourself like, yeah, like I could be like, I'm, I could be straight. I could do that. And then when you realize like, nah, I can't, then it's just sort of a, a big wave of, oh, so my life is going to look not like everybody else's. And that does take some getting used to for your own self, for, your, for yourself. But you have to kind of wrap your brain around how your, that your life is not going to look like everybody else's. And that is, that's a, that's a bit of a weight on your chest, even though once you get into it, now it's like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, my life looks different. But, it, but at the root of it, it's, I have the same, you know, deal with the same stuff and go through the same things as everyone else. Mm. But when you're realizing it in college, I mean, some people earlier than that in a real way, you start to go, oh, well, okay, my life is going to look different. So does it happen for you at Columbia? The reality, yes. You know, the real reality sinking in of like, okay, I can't like keep pretending to be something I'm not. And then when I moved to Los Angeles was when I was like, oh, because also too, it's like I didn't have any family out here. I like I didn't know anyone. And mm-hmm. so So you do two, three years at Columbia. I do four. Four years, yeah. but you but you move for the oh, yeah. second half of your yeah, the senior second half year of, yeah, in yeah, 2006. Yeah. Yes, that's true. I, I did the semester in LA out here. So um and here, and that's why I think I and also too, I've lived here since oh six. So, so I feel like I'm, you know, half of me, half of my identity is wrapped up in this city, even though the beginning of who I am is Chicago, but I've learned so much about myself. I fell in love. I met my true love out here. And there's just, I found success and like a career and a village. So hmm. LA is, is a huge part of who I am as well now. So I feel like the move to LA I was, it was freeing in a way. And I, and I didn't realize this then, but I was, I really had my sexual awakening here. When you came here. Yeah. Because. Kind of had to leave home. Yeah. You know, looking back on it now, you know, that had to, even though I was very much like aware of like my identity and who I was when I was still in Chicago, wrapping up, rounding up my career, my college career in Chicago. But, but being out here, there was this, oh, well I can go do this thing and like not get caught or I can go meet up with this girl, go on this dating like little thing or whatever. And I think that's where I really kind of jumped off the cliff. And, uh, and that's why, that's why my mom, you know, I can't, I, I didn't come out to my mom until I was living out here. I have maybe a couple of years. Uh, so in yeah. 2008, your mom comes out, you guys go to a Mel's diner on yep. Ventura. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So crazy. And, uh, and I'm wondering, it's so funny cause I was trying to think back, like, what the impetus like why did i i don't know i just i i don't know for some reason i was like if it's in a public place it won't be as like bad mm-hmm. or weird it's just that's was ill-advised but like yeah i felt so bad for that server because the person was like, like what is happening at this table over so did here? you guys get a booth we did of course sunny outside it was sunny outside of course it's fucking la it's always sunny outside yeah. uh but good yeah. guess on my part yeah great guess so yeah, and that's why that's why again it was so funny that they were like they were like okay where it happened what to do so we sort of recreated a diner scene so mm. and it's so funny because people really love that scene they're like and oh was it was it really in a diner I'm like yeah it was in a diner I'm interested did you um, sort of talk about something else leading up to that at the diner were you guys talking about your life in L A your success there your you know I mean how nice it is outside. <laughs> I'm sure there was 
a little small talk, but not much, mm. not much. Because I think I wanted to to get it, to like jump in and get it done. You were anxious. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it wasn't a ton. It it kind of <laughs> it was a little bit like the actual scene. It was sort of like okay, and also too the other thing, I was also genuinely annoyed that I had to come out, which mm-hmm. is sort of a silly. It's like. Even if I was very obvious, which I absolutely was, mm-hmm. and I definitely think my family was in a large state of denial about it, but also too, they didn't have a lot of experience right. with that too. So you know, it's fine. But I was frustrated that I even had to say something because mm-hmm. I was like, "What the hell? Like, why do I even have to say this or come out?" But also, what was happening in Chicago with in my absence was that there was a lot of talking and like rumor and all that kind of stuff going on. Because you had told other people. Uh, I told my sister and and I think my mom's friend. That's so funny because the character that Kim Willie plays is a combination of like some of my mom's friends, my actual mother's sister, and like them sort of being in the kitchen and being like, well, what's going on? Is Lena, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that's why I think my sister at some point was just like, look, they're talking about it and you need to, you need to sort of come out on your own terms versus people assuming or guessing or thinking something of you, you need to like just say it in your in your own way, however you want to do that. So that way it's not just rumor or speculation between these women in this house. And uh and that I agree with. That I think was a big like I was like, yeah, it's true. Like I don't I'm even though I didn't care, but it was true. It was it's a it's a right to it's a right of passage. You have to it's a difficult thing. It's it's the worst thing. It's the scariest thing. But why were you scared? I mean, here's the thing. Even though I know she, my mother would not have like disowned me or or said I never want to see you again. But here's the thing. You don't know. You don't know. You literally and that's what I was trying to describe some the, the coming out process to somebody. It's basically you have to mentally prepare yourself for everybody to go, okay, I don't like that. I'm out. So that's what you have to, kind of, you have to build that up. You have to kind of prepare yourself for that. Cause that could happen. Um, and so that's why it's sort of scary. Cause you're like, okay, what, what now? Like I was like, okay, I said it now. What, now what happens? And so for me, luckily that didn't happen, but then it became this sort of, awkward bumpy thing of okay well how do I relate to you what do I say and also too my mom was sort of still like hopeful that it wasn't the case and that was frustrating that it was a phase right and that was frustrating which I'm sure happens to a lot of people but you know again I just think she was just ill-equipped to you know that's just something she didn't bargain for you know uh and uh and there was just no rule book and also just a is a different generation and everything she represents in terms of like, she's very feminine. She, you know, cares what people think about her. And so it's just, it was all those things wrapped up. And also my sister who was straight as a board, you know, who was like, so that's, so it's just like this thing of like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this. It's, it saddens me, you know? And so it was just all those things. And, uh, wrapped up and I think that's what I was you know when I when I said I wrote the episode that's what I want to convey like not that she was evil or like said like was not trying to say mean things right. it's just she didn't know how to handle it right 
She didn't have the tool set for it. Mm-mm. Putting a pause on the conversation for a second. We're doing a new segment on the show, and it's a listener segment, which is uh, pretty self-explanatory, but uh, each week, the guest I have on, at the end of it, I will ask him one listener question, which you can submit either through Twitter, Facebook, or email at sam at talkeasypod.com. Some upcoming guests include Patricia Lockwood, Doreen St. Felix, A.O. Scott, and a whole bunch of others. So if you have a question for them and maybe you want to hear that question on air or on a podcast there's no such thing as on air on a podcast but whatever uh you can do so also finally uh the newsletter is back but in a way that is more manageable because no one needs a weekly newsletter of me saying nonsense so instead uh we're doing a monthly nonsense newsletter where i'll include a uh, spotify playlist of songs info about the guests photos whatever we have to give you and other stuff from uh upcoming sponsors and such so if you want to sign up for that you can do so at www.tinyletter.com slash talk easy we'll include all this and more in our show notes now back to lena it's interesting because the uh the contrast between your mom not knowing how to handle it Mm -hmm. versus your certainty and confidence that that is something i'm like struck by in the 40 minutes we've been talking mm-hmm. but also the other interviews i've seen remarkably confident and you seem so self-assured about like everything in your life and it's uh it's impressive it's 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 i don't understand it <laughs> <laughs> i think it's incredible <laughs> where does that come from you know what? Interestingly enough, I think it comes from her, though. You know, it's like uh, even when shit is bad, you can't read it on her face. <laughs> now, that could be deemed not the best thing, uh, but that's what I witnessed, you know. And also, I think, you know, my grandmother, you know, who is a person, particularly speaking about my mother's mom, who literally left the south because she's from arkansas and was not it was not a fun time to be a black girl in the south at the, when the time she was a teenager she's like she literally got married to get the fuck out of the south like mm-hmm. when she was too young her, her, her my great-grandmother had to sign her marriage like license to approve it to approve the marriage because she was like i'm getting the fuck out of here and i'm going to chicago and um and that's where she went and she stayed and she traveled and she was like this like fly person that even though she had kids she was like i'm not about to stay in this house she's like y'all know how to iron y'all know how to cook figure it out i'll be back you know and so i do think i come from a line of women that rise like the phoenix no matter what the scenario is so i think being raised by the you know that's the thing too i I think because the you know, God would have it that I would be raised in the house with my grandmother, which is the same house my mother was raised in, uh, and be raised in that village of people. Also, too, I, I was raised in a neighborhood where a black, you know, the the house across the street that I from us, 
had a little a stick left by a burning cross because the family across the street was the first black family to move to that neighborhood. And so, but when I was there, it was an all black neighborhood. So it's like, then those were the people, and those are my neighbors, the Watsons. I won't forget them. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the community I grew up in. So I just kind of, I think it's more so, it's more stemmed from, you know, from the people I was around and from, from whence I came, you know, and I think there's also a thing I'm very much connected to my history. You know, I haven't done the whole ancestry.com thing. I don't know what part of Africa my, my, my ancestors were kidnapped from, but I'm, it, it's not lost on me that I am a descendant of people that survived the middle passage. It's like this shit, that I go through or deal with or that people throw at me, it ain't as bad as that. It's not as bad as slavery. <laughs> it's not as bad as Jim Crow. Not as bad as the civil rights movement. So that's where I come from. That's the bloodline that I'm from. How can I not walk tall? Like I, I have to just as a, as a salute to them. I feel like they deserve at least that. That if they have to go through all that, that like, I shouldn't, when I walk, I shouldn't bow. That's a good answer. And what about God? <sighs> well, without him, there is no there is no me. It's like they, there is like, I believe that <clears throat> my steps are ordered. I remember always hearing that, you know, when I did go to church, I listened, I'll say, you know, my mom tried to, she was a little sporadic with it, but, uh, she, 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 she got us there when she could. Um, but I did take, I took in a lot and I know she would probably be happy to hear that, you know, if she ever listens to this podcast, although I don't, don't think she knows how all that works, but don't, that's what I remember is that my steps are ordered. Even when I feel like I don't like where I'm walking or what I'm walking through, there's a reason why I'm walking through it. There's a reason why he would have me be on the path that I'm on. And also a thing I remember where there's no vision, the people perish. Like I remember listening to that. And also we would get like, sometimes my mom would buy cassette tapes of like the sermons and I would listen to them in my room on headphones. Like again, again, there's a particular pastor that I really liked. Um, his name was Winston, Reverend Winston Johnson. And, um, I remember he, that was one of his favorite passages where there is no vision, the people perish. And so I would always say it to myself again and again, where there's no vision, the people perish. And it's, and so for me, I've always had a vision because I always think of without a vision, you know, I, I can't, I can't survive. And so I try to visualize where I see myself and what I want things to look like. Seriously, I was on the phone with somebody today. They're like, okay, Lena, if you say that's how it's going to be, I'm like, yeah, that, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to go this way. I'm going to do this, this, and that. If this mm -hmm. goes this way, I'm going to do this, this, and that. And they're like, okay, all right. So it's like, if you say so, it's I'm like. It's not a, oh, I'd like to do this, or maybe, maybe, maybe we should do this. It's a, <laughs> we're doing it this way. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a gift and a curse. Um, but Oh, I'm sure you're a pain in the ass. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. Just go ask the agents at WME. But yeah, it's You're like, Spielberg in the making. Look, yo, please, Lord, from your lips to God's ears. Um, <laughs> love him. Uh, but uh, Let's not get into that. I know, right? We don't need you in trouble. Okay. But I do love him. <laughs> one genuinely. question, one question. Go ahead. Was it great? 
it was phenomenal. It was life changing. Mm. What I will say about him is that uh, he's a giant that doesn't make you feel small. And that's why he can work with anyone. And he can make all those movies. Man. You can't you cannot be a colossal asshole and like mm. make as much as he does. That's true. You can make it you can be a colossal asshole and make a movie every seven years. Right, right. That's great. It could still be a great movie. I'm not saying Paul Thomas Anderson is an asshole. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm such a fan. He's incredible. But no, but I mean, man, it's just the kindest, you know. He's like the dad you wish you had, you know, for me. Uh, that In yeah. that case, I mean, in your case, that seems especially... Do you feel like you've missed something on that front? No, not particularly. Uh, this is just a theory I've come up with, mm-hmm. and it could it it could be as inane as the thing I started with earlier when you were saying my voice sounds sexy, and I was like, I don't know if I like <laughs> that was stupid too. So this may also be dumb. But do you think like you kind of diverted or like you avoided? a lot of potential problems you may have had with men because you're they're not part of your life romantically. Hmm. And and I know like it's not a choice right. that you're that's what you like. You like mm. what you like. Right. But it is interesting that there's a parallel there where you, you haven't had to deal with men in a romantic sen- mm-hmm. sense except for your boyfriend who was as gay as me. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you never know, you know, because there's a strong chance that if I was not gay and yes, I did not really grow up with my, with my father having a strong presence in my life. There's a world in which I could have met somebody that right away that just kind of worked and it was fine. But, um, or I could have like fallen down some different pitfalls and this and that but also too i know people who have great relationships with their dad and like cannot right find a man to save their lives sure so that's but that I, term like daddy issues which is a right. disgusting dumb term it has become so prevalent in our lives oh yeah and it does generally stem from the absence of a father right but i think to me i think daddy issues can be prevalent whether your father is present or not oh, totally. you know um, sometimes it's worse when he is present i know exactly so I mean, to me, it's just like, I got just family issues, damn near daddy. You know what I'm saying? It's just like me <laughs> trying to figure out, you know, my what my role is in that family, you know, because I am so different. I'm a bit of a the oddball, you know, because I'm like, I don't come from a showbiz family <laughs> at all. Uh, and I have, you know, a I think very, that's a good thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's just it's just because I'm like I don't have anyone to you know. Well, but the cool thing is I have a a village of people out here who are in the business who I can talk to about right. it. Um, but it's a unique, it's an odd life, mm. you know, which I know for them is sort of very much it's it's a it's odd. It's and maybe I'm just saying that because I it's similar. Like my family, my mom's a lawyer, my dad's a public school teacher in Chicago. You know, love that they don't they're normal. Yeah, they're, they love movies and stuff, but they're mm-hmm. not. Hollywood they didn't come from this they don't understand it at all that can be a little frustrating at times they're interested though 
Yeah, I mean, I think my my family. I don't know about yours. I don't know if they're interested. I think they're intrigued. I think they're confused. Oh, confused, I think, definitely. Uh, yeah, and I, but I also think they're I'm happy confused. about it. So I know it's so fucking. It's a weird. <laughs> but that to me, the cool thing I think in having as many experiences as I've gotten to have, especially as of late, the veil has been lifted a little bit for me, where I kind of can see it more. Because because when I first came out here, it was you know I, I, I'm at Oz. Here we are. We made it. The Emerald Castle. Hmm. Um, but then it's sort of like you kind of see the wizard behind the curtain a little bit. And uh, and I think, um, and not that I, and, and honestly, I'm not um, jaded at all, at all, uh, which I think is cool. And I hope to maintain that. Cut to, to you know, I'm at Can. like, here we go again. I don't know. But Lena's back on the show this week. <laughs> I fucking hate all these people. Is, I'm, I quit. I'm done. <laughs> I should have had a franchise movie by now. Ah, this is some bullshit. Where's my Ibby? Um, why am I not a superhero? Why I don't have my own show yet? This is some bullshit. Um, I think for me, I'm still, I'm just, I'm very, I've been educated. I know what. I know what it is. I know, I know how the machine works. I've seen the rust. I've seen the grind. I've seen the the cool stuff it can pump out. But I know how the sausage is made. But I still like the sausage. Mm. Still like to eat it. Still got a taste for it. Right. So that's sort of you know I'm in that space and so I try to mentor as much as I can. And well, you're in a stuff. fascinating spot between the art and commerce because I know I've heard you talk about your friend, uh, Justin Simeon, mm-hmm. who told you like, Hey, I want to know how to make a movie and sell a movie. Yeah. And he did publicity mm-hmm. and you worked as an assistant on shows right. and you were, um, Gina, uh, I, you know, it's hard. Yeah. Gina Prince Bythewood. I don't want to mess that up. It's all good. I got you. I met her once. And I was like, I don't want to mess this She's up. She's so cool. I just said, hi Gina. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you go. Smart. Smart man. <laughs> She's so fucking good. Beyond the, beyond the lights is incredible. Right. So for context, why don't you tell me you were an assistant? Oh, oh, I was Gina's assistant. I was her assistant on during post on the Secret Life of Bees. Secret Life of Bees. And then and I just kind of stayed on. I just you know I be I was my goal was to be like the best assistant ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I mean, it sounded like you were like that's family now. Oh my, uh, yeah, no. I tweeted her today because there's an announcement she's doing a Marvel movie, uh, and I was like, she's my end of call my industry mama, and then she always jokes and said, "Well, I had you in my teens." I said, "Okay." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, she's my. And I, t- I talked to her the other day. Just we had a great conversation. I was always love talking to her, and I think for her, it's got to be odd, you know, for her assistant, you know, but who she always believed in and always saw something in. But I know it has to blow her mind, like you know, watching me now, and I know she's extremely proud, um, and her husband too, Reggie Bythewood, who was very much you know a mentor, you know, too, and uh, and I worked for Ava DuVernay on her first narrative film. I will follow, and uh, yeah, man, I've been really lucky to work for for cool people and and just they they remain in my life and in a real way you know mm-hmm. and where if i even if i want to call and complain and like what what is this what do i do this is some bullshit and they always you know can relate in a way or say here's how i think you should handle it or this is what i think you should do uh it is it's it's real advice you know coming from people who have lived it and been there before and i just find that to be helpful they've lived it and also in talking about you know the thing you mentioned of seeing how the sausage gets made, mm-hmm. it does seem like you're interested in selling as well, as mm-hmm. well as making the art that moves and is yeah. powerful and impactful. But 
you're an, I mean, I don't know what you think about this, but you're an outlier. Like that's not most, there's a lot of filmmakers who are like, okay, I went to film school right? and now I'm making this movie and I don't care about selling it. I don't want to do the publicity. I don't want to do this, Sure. but you're a real, I mean, the fact that you're a writer first mm-hmm. is important, but the producing angle seems significant to me. Yeah. And it's something I really like a lot. I like putting the pieces together and making something and then getting it out into the world. Because that's a different skill than being a talented artist. True. Oh, yeah. No, you're juggling, you're managing, you're babysitting. A lot of babysitting. Yeah. You're emailing a ton. You know, you're calming things down. How much time are you spending on email? I do it throughout. I try to. I And also, and I don't, I'm not a fan of not responding to email. I'm trying to call that person. If you send me an email, you're going to get a response. So, but because I, I do a thing where if I'm in the middle of something and I see it, I check an email, I see it, I read it, I take it in. I know I don't have time to respond to it in the way I would like to. So I just flag it. And then later on that evening when I get home and I, have, I like responding to email on my laptop mm-hmm. so I can really like go in and do my thing. I don't like doing it on the phone. I just, cause I just, I'm feel restricted. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's, I'm always, you know, there's always a call. There's always a thing, but but I like juggling. I like having different things. I like my energy being, you know, a little spread out. So I'm not always like, because if you're too honed in on one project, like you go crazy. So I like, that's what I always tell people. I'm like, just for as a practice, like, yeah, you're a writer, you have a thing. But if you know a younger writer that has a script, then maybe if you don't want to produce it or whatever, but it's on, but if you just read it and give them notes on it, like that's a cool thing. It's a break away from your own shit. Mm. It kind of helps you from being completely narcissistic. It's like, okay, yes, you have a script. Okay, great. Let's see what happens with it. But like, well, it's sort the, of like that pay it forward philosophy. Oh yeah. And it helps you. It's like, it's a cool thing to, mm. to like, to go, oh, you know what? Your first act could, could paste it up a little bit, you know? So then that keeps you in mind when you go back to your thing. Oh, let me take my own advice. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a give and take. And I, and I, and I like it a lot, but it's interesting. I want to go to something you said about the outlier thing. There's a documentary I really love because I'm obsessed with Stephen Sondheim. And, um, and there's a documentary called the best, worst, that could have ever happened mm-hmm. it's on netflix actually um or itunes however you want to watch stuff uh but it's interesting because it's about it's actually about uh the first failure that he has a, he put this broadway play up him and hal prince um called merrily we roll along and it was like everybody was like looking for it hyped about it they're like all oh, snap it's about to be some shit and it just it closed after a few performances and it was like devastating to the, the, all the young kids that were in this play. They're like, I'm going to sign high, but I'm just, my <laughs> life's about to change. And it didn't. You know what I'm but it's, it, it's a really phenomenal documentary. It's really well done. One of the cast members who's like now all grown up, like he, he goes back. Because it, it, really, it was a real turning point in his life because he was like, this is my dream to be in this Sondheim play and I'm in it and the reviews are bad. It closes shortly after. So, But Sondheim has a great quote about it where he says, people would either rather me be a successful hack you know, who does stuff that's up the middle and, you know, but I make a lot of money at it. Or an artist who doesn't make any money. He's like, I couldn't be both. Mm. And um, and I remember hearing that and I was like, oh. And I, and I remember thinking like, yeah, I want to be both. I want to make good shit that does well. I want to be Moonlight. I want to be Get Out. You know what I'm saying? Even though Moonlight technically in terms of like money, it didn't, I don't know if it made it a ton but the Oscar kind of balances that out when it's a best picture. So you have that. But like Get Out is like ideal. Like, you know, um, you know, Atlanta is ideal. Like it's like this thing that is special and unique and specific and 
people embrace it. And I think that's kind of also my Thanksgiving episode. That's kind of how that feels. Mm-hmm. Like I got to be really vulnerable and tell some tell a story that is not popular or commercial by any means. And then for it to hit, like that to me is I want more of that. I want more opportunities to do that. And some stuff is going to miss, you know, that's, although I don't like to live in that space, but uh, <laughs> I can't even like, you know, shake it off. But have you missed yet? Not that I know of. There may be, you know, we'll see. We'll see what kind, you know. I'll keep you know. posted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think the thing for me is as long as the product is solid, you do have to be in a space of let the world do what it does. Every, to me, something doing gangbusters at the box office doesn't necessarily make it a success. To me, the Jill White People movie was a success because we freaking made that thing. Mm. And to me, being on the red carpet for the, the premiere of the Netflix series tells me that we did something right. So for me, success sometimes, and then the funny thing about Merrily We Roll Along, to finish that anecdote, 20 years later, they did like sort of a re- revival of it, of the, you know, as, as the original cast members all came together, all grown up, whatever, and it was like sold out and everybody loved it because it sort of had a different meaning and people really loved it or whatever. So there was something in the DNA of it that worked, but it, at the time, it just kind of didn't quite hit. So for me, as long as what you're making is honest and real and from a sacred place, it's going to hit somebody. It's going to touch someone. It's sort of the Rocky Horror Picture Show of it all. It's the, you know, you know, the showgirls of it all. It's like there's something in it that that touches a nerve or or does something. It, it you know, no matter it may hit years later. It may be something that you couldn't have expected. Um so that's my thing. That's that's what I deem success, making something that I can watch and find entertaining. Then I'm cool and hopefully other people find it entertaining too. Can you uh, uh, reiterate the advice Gina gave you? Be great. Always be great. Two words. It's like, okay. But that's the thing. It's like, and I think when she first gave it to me, I was like, what the hell? When I heard it yesterday, I was like, what? That's what I felt when I first, she first said it. What do you mean? Be great. What does that mean? The fuck? But, um. It's not that easy. Right. But then I was like. Maybe it is. It, it sunk in over the years, um, but and I always remembered it. I held on to it, and I and I and I have a better understanding of it of it and what she means. And I find myself saying it to people now: "Be great, like be great." Do you think you're great? I think I'm working toward it every day. I think I'm, I'm pretty good. But I'm always trying to be great. I want to be the Jordan of television writers. You know? I love that. It's like I always want to be working and striving and shooting and fighting and clawing and to be the best that ever did it. You know, I want to leave a legacy. I don't only love the idea of you being the Jordan of television writers, which is a great concept in my head. But I love that you're willing to say that. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe that was what I meant by the outlier. Because mm. you know people here. You know you know what it's like. Yeah. You, you've gone to the meetings. I've been, I've, oh. You hear the people. Yeah. You, you, you know, you go to a dinner and it's like, Jesus Christ. Oh, no. P- people, people talk about <laughs> themselves in a way that is so unbelievably serious that I don't want to take them serious. Oh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like confidence. You have a different aura. It's a different sort of confidence. Thank you. 
Yeah, I don't know I what it is. That. I, I appreciate that. <sighs> yeah, it's weird. I try. I don't I try not to take myself too seriously. Although I'm not like this self-deprecating person, I don't do that. I just am very aware of my purpose and trying to fulfill it always. It's interesting because sometimes one uh, I know in an interview Oprah did might have been with Larry King possibly, and he asked her what was her greatest fear. And she said, not reaching my fullest potential. I I, I understand that. Like, I just want to do everything I was put on this planet to do. And the time that I was put on this planet to do it in. And I feel like that's a lot of things. And I'm like, always... You know, so funny because my girlfriend makes fun of me because I wake up and I'm like, ready. I'm like, let's go. Let's go. She's like, wait, hold on. Breathe. Let's let's slowly come into the day. But I'm just like, I'm just like ready to fucking go. Like, what are we doing? Like, and not in a way of like, let's go take a hike. I'm like going like, okay, so let me talk to the manager. Where are we at with this? Where are we at with this deal? Uh, what's going on with this thing? You know, checking in with, you know, a writer. So you're going to give me a script this Friday. Okay, cool. I'll read it this weekend. Like, I'm just, I'm just like. It's, it's also too people say, well, what do you do for fun? What are your hobby? I'm like, for fun, like this is the most this job. I, it's I literally feel like, you know, with the, like, like the Jordans, like the Kobe did, like for fun. I play basketball. That's what I do. <laughs> like that's what I do. Life is work. Yeah. Work, work is, is life. life. Come on. It's like, and I don't think of that in a bad way. Because when I vacation, I vacation. When I go away, I'm chilling. I'm I'm like getting massages. I'm vibing. But during the rest of the year, the month, I'm like, I got, I got shit to do. You know, I'm trying to get to a place where people respect my conglomerate in a real way. Um, and once I get there, then it's like, okay, now let me try to bring all these motherfuckers up in here with me. Like, okay, that script, that movie, I love that idea. Are you down? Are you into it? Okay, cool. Let's get like the, let's get the deal made. Let's get it closed. Let's let's, let's talk about production. Let's get into casting. Let's, let's get it popping. Let's get going. Cause that's the thing to me. It's like empires don't build up; they build out. You know. So it's like you think about Oprah; she making money off Rachel Ray, Nate Burkus, you know, <laughs> you know, Doctor Phil, Ayanla. You know, what I'm saying it's like that's where most of her checks coming from. <laughs> I'm smiling because I'm happy here. <laughs> so I'm just. I'm saying, not laughing at you. No, I'm like I'm just saying like that's my blueprint. You know, it's like yeah, she started with the seed. Like okay, here's my thing. Okay, now who can I? Who can I help? Let's 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 okay. Now you get a show. You get a show. You get a show. You get a show. They all under Harpo Productions, you know. So while that person's living their dream, they couldn't hurt a check too, you mm. know. It's like that's that's the best of both worlds. What could stop you? <laughs> Not a damn thing. It's exactly the answer I wanted to hear. <laughs> Lena, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for this lovely conversation, man. It was good. This has been great. Right. So long. So long.
Special thanks to Brianna Smith and Paige Wanderling for making this week's episode possible. If you haven't binge-watched already, you can catch Lena on Season 2 of Master of None, now streaming on Netflix. Also, if you're in the LA area, she'll be giving the keynote speech at this year's Los Angeles International Film Festival on June 17th. More info to that event will be in our show notes at www.talkeasypod.com. Finally, much love to Lena for coming over to the house and going there with us. If this is your first time listening to the show, we've had on a lot of guests, including Master of None co-star Noelle Wells, Wesley Morris, Martin Starr, W. Kamal Bell, Mac DeMarco, Anna Sale, the list goes on. As always, you can find Talk Easy on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenai. Our new theme music is by the wonderful Dylan Peck. Our assistant producer is Valerie Ettenhofer, and the show is produced by Norm Knight. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. Now, here's your listener question. All right, listener question comes from Nujari Itan. She works at NPR, by the way, uh, which is just a random fact about her. Okay, so the question must be brilliant. Yeah, we'll see. She says, uh, it's a two-parter. Oh, shit. Uh, whose decision was it to play Can You Stand the Rain in that episode? And which era of new edition do you prefer, Bobby Brown or Johnny Gill? Oh, okay. This is brilliant. <laughs> I got to be quick because I'm already running late to my thing. Um, Shout out to NPR. Yeah. Whose idea was it? Um, I think it might have been Melina's. And I apologize if I'm giving credit where it's not due because if Aziz is like, actually... Uh, <laughs> But I wasn't. I but I. I if I, that was the case, I wasn't privy to that conversation. But I remember Melina one just has obviously such a great ear for music. So does Aziz. Um, but Melina was very hands on in terms of figuring out what the music would be and what the cues were. Uh, so I believe it was Melina. It's funny enough they were freaking playing that song while while we were actually doing that stuff. Like when when I opened the door and all like really loud. And, it, and then, of course, the song was in our heads for like, we. it was crazy. But I'm happy they did that because otherwise, I don't know if you would have gotten the same like joyous vibe in right. the, the episode. So I, I'm going to give credit to Melina because that's what I remember. I could be wrong. If so, if I'm wrong, giving the credit to where it's not due, I apologize. And then my favorite era, heesh, I got to go with the OG, you know, uh, <laughs> like, but here's the deal. Um, speaking of... Can You Stand the Rain, brilliant song. Johnny, Johnny era, right? But come on, like Popcorn Love, Mr. Telephone Man, you know, Candy Girl. You got to go where it all began. And I'm an OG girl. If I got some J's, I like the OG colorways. You know, I don't like these like, oh, blue, pink, you know, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. I got to go with the OGs, you know, and and I'm so excited. Shout out to Abdul Williams who wrote the movie. He's also writing this, this uh, the Bobby Brown biopic, uh, which I know is going to be phenomenal. Uh, just because Bobby Brown, man, he has tried to get through his book. It's a, it's it's a bit of a struggle, uh, but no, but <laughs> he is such a, an, a you know you can people say what they want about him, and I'm I got Whitney Houston's you know uh, uh, signature on my arm, so I, I but I'll say this like he's brilliant. And uh, you can't take away he, his moment. Like he, he, I, you can't, he, he's kind of, you know, he, 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 Whitney once said he was the king of R&B. I know that's arguable, but he definitely had a moment and, uh, and in, in new edition and outside of it. So 
long-winded way of saying I got to go with the Bobby Brown era just because of, you know, the long reign they had. And also the fact that he came back. They did home again. How about I go with home again era? <laughs> Hit me off. You know what I'm saying? Hit me off. You know what I mean? It's like that movie so good. Shout out to Abdul Williams and the folks at BET that made that happen because, you know, we needed that at the time. We needed that love from New Edition that kind of take our minds off Trump. There it is. There it is. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.